mountains bow down and the seas will roar. You know why? They don't get to choose. They don't have choice. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth brings forth praise. We're the only thing in God's creation that gets to choose to do it or not do it. Today we choose to do it. We worship Him. I just want to welcome you today. Will is in uh, at Camp Calvary. He's deeming a week of camp down there this weekend. And uh, so I've got some extra duty. Today's a big day. We've got a lot going on. And I want to mention a few of those. Tonight at 6 o'clock we're having a fish fry. And you're invited. Okay? I'd like you to come eat some fish with me. And bring a side dish, and they're cooking 220 pounds of Alaskan whitefish this evening. And uh, a bunch of guys will be doing that out back. And uh, at 6 o'clock, we'll, we'll share a meal together. We call it heaven practice. So come and be a part of that. Actually, it's kind of a tradition that they were doing when I got here uh, 17 years ago. In fact, the Nineveh fish fry... And the first Saturday in May of 2000 was my first time here. So I've been here 17 years this coming week. So it's a tradition that the church has done. And it's been a tradition for me. It marks uh, when I came here that first night. I preached the next morning on Sunday morning. And I thought I was coming for one Sunday. That was my plan. I was going to fill in one Sunday and leave and God had another idea. Second thing is, at 8 o'clock tonight, after I get a belly full of fish, I'm going to come out here and stand in this place and kick off our 76 hours in the Word. And I'm asking you to take part in that with me. This is an act of worship. And uh, I didn't check after the first service, but before the first service early this morning, before anybody got here, we had about 50 slots left open. They are 30-minute time slots where you just fill in, you just walk up here and read. Somebody will be reading, they'll put their finger on the page, you start where they finished. If you don't think you can handle 30 minutes reading, bring a friend and you read 15 minutes each. Just We're going to just read from Genesis through Revelation. It takes about 76 hours is our history it takes to do that. I know first service filled up quite a few of those. There are seven, several of them open. And I'm asking you, when you leave today through the Welcome Center, go to that list, pick your time slot, and fill it out and come. Don't get it mixed up with the prayer time, because after we finish Wednesday night at midnight, the 76 hours of reading the Bible nonstop, we will immediately at midnight on Wednesday night go into 24 hours of prayer. You're talking about a big week. This is a big week. So that will happen up in the other building. We will pray nonstop for uh, 24 hours. Sign up and take part of that as well. Last thing is this. Today, I mentioned last week, is Building Fund Sunday. All of the offering today goes totally toward the debt that we are getting very, 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 very close to paying off. And depending upon what comes in today, um, we are still very, very, very close to being uh, debt free. So I know we've already taken up the offering today, but if something on your heart, uh, please keep that in mind today as well. Today we're going to start with the end of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. 
Two Sundays ago on Easter, I opened up John chapter 3, and I started revealing the content of a conversation between two guys, Nicodemus and Jesus. Quite frankly, this conversation changed the world. It's where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So today we're going to move from that scene to the Judean wilderness. Jesus was in Jerusalem because it was Passover, but, but he's going to move to the Judean wilderness and he's going to go there because John the Baptist is baptizing people there. But let's start with some really good news. I want to give you some good news about Judgment Day for Christians. I want to give you some good news because I want you to understand that when I was growing up, I used to hear preachers all the time talk about Judgment Day, Judgment Day. And I remember being a little fellow in the church pew, and sometimes he would get talking about Judgment Day, and I'd be scared to death to go to bed at night. I was thinking it's coming tonight, and maybe I wasn't ready. So I've got some good news. If you're a believer in Christ today, if you are born again in the water and born again in the Spirit, your judgment day has happened on the cross of Calvary. It's not something in your future. It's an event in your past. But I have to tell you the truth. If you are not born again in the water and the Spirit today, judgment day is coming. But it doesn't have to come. There's still time. At least right now, there's still time. So I've got some good news. I want to open with that today. John 3, 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on something. What is the judgment based on? A fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right. Now, I'm going to pause on purpose. But those who do what is right. Do you believe in truth? Do you believe in absolute truth? That there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. You see, we live in a society that increasingly is rejected rejecting truth, absolute truth, that there is an authority, a lawgiver, a right, a wrong. Now, that isn't established by me. It isn't established by preachers. There is an authority that is beyond us. He's called the creator. He's called God. And while it might not be possible for me or you to establish truth, there is one who is. And he says something. He says, verse 21 again, but those who do what is right, that tells me that there is something that is wrong. For there to be wrong, there must be right. For there to be right, there must be wrong. And for there to be either, there must be truth. And he says this, but those who do what is right, come to the light. We don't walk into the darkness and pretend like truth doesn't exist. Those who do what is right, they come into the light so that others can see that what they're doing, they're doing what God wants. Today, I begin with good news. The truth of God is this. 
Judgment Day for believers happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross. And by faith in Him, in His name, in the blood of Christ, our judgment, our death sentence was carried out upon Him that day at Calvary. Because we accept the truth of His name, the truth of His atoning sacrifice, the truth that sin brings death. And someone died for me. Someone died for you. But we also accept this truth that those who refuse to walk into the light to accept this truth, judgment day is coming. And I'm telling you the truth. No one will escape outside the blood of the Lamb. Judgment day is coming. Do you hate the light? Or do you love the light? Do you run into the light or do you run away from the light? Church, this is real. Do you, do, do you like the light so that you run into it knowing that my sins will be exposed by the light? But knowing that the exposing of those sins is the freedom of Christ. Because then through repentance he forgives those sins. I don't try to hide or pretend them. Do you want to put your sins in the light or in the darkness? One is eternal life and the other is eternal death. And if you refuse this light named Jesus, your judgment day is coming. It's not too late, not yet, not today, not yet anyway. Last week we covered the first half, John chapter 3. The second half is a transition between Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus has left Jerusalem and he's left Nicodemus and he's traveled into the countryside where there's a whole lot of baptizing going on. We baptized one in the first service just a few minutes ago this morning. John 3, 22. Let's pick up the story. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time there with them baptizing people. Now, John the Baptist, he didn't get that name by accident. He was a baptizer. John the Baptist, in this scene, at this time, is beginning to draw a distinction between himself and Jesus. Even though they are both baptizing people, he is going to separate himself from Jesus, humbling himself in the presence of the people when he says these words about Jesus. Verse 31. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is truth he comes from heaven and we don't john is announcing something that changes the way you look at jesus jesus came from heaven nobody else can say that nobody else can say they're not from here he came from heaven that's the same thing he told nicodemus remember we covered that a couple of weeks ago it was the defining moment in nicodemus's life when, when Jesus says, I'm not from here, I, I'm from heaven, 
And John the Baptist has given testimony. He's not from here. He's from heaven. He testifies firsthand about the Father. Now, it'd be one thing for us to say what we think heaven's like, but if somebody from heaven comes here and tells you what heaven's like, you can believe him. And then John does something. John reveals something amazing, especially considering that John was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. John, do you know the Bible says specifically that John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit in him while he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb? And here's what he says about this man named Jesus who comes from heaven. Verse 34. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the Spirit without limit. Did you hear that? God gives this man the spirit without limit. Now some of you might think, I don't even really know if I know what that means. Well, let's try to examine it. I told you that John the Baptist had the spirit when he was in his mother's womb. But John the Baptist, though he had the spirit, he did not have the spirit without limit. Do you see it? The spirit without limit is God without limit. John is not God without limit, but Jesus is. The spirit without limit means everything. The spirit without limit, John the Baptist, having the Holy Spirit, Seeing Jesus baptized in the Jordan, the sky opens, the Holy Spirit descends, God speaks, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. John announces to the world, he is from heaven and he has the spirit without limit. What does it mean? John knows what the spirit is, he knows who the spirit is, but John doesn't have the spirit without limit, but Jesus does. Do you know what it means? It means, listen, listen, everything. John 3.35, next verse. The Father loves His Son and has put everything, everything, everything into His hands. He has the Spirit without limit. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but he remains under God's angry judgment. Judgment day is in front of you if you have not believed in God's only Son. God's only Son who has the Spirit without limit. One of the other translations says without measure. You can't measure it. Everything means everything. God the Father has put everything into the hands of His Son. And believing Him is eternal life. And not believing Him is eternal judgment. Jesus confirms this everything from God announcement in a prayer. It's recorded both in Luke 10 and Matthew 11. Let me read Matthew 11. Jesus says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. No one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The Spirit without limit. 
Now, if you hear this, if you read this, there's a logical next question. The spirit without limit. If Jesus is a man who has, he's from heaven, but he's a man on the earth, and he has the spirit without limit, who is the spirit? What is the spirit? That's the perfect transition to John chapter 4. And I want to do something to answer the question. If Jesus has the Spirit without limit, John didn't have the Spirit without limit. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're, they're going to get the Spirit, but they don't have the Spirit without limit. If there is one who has the Spirit without limit, what is the Spirit? What does it mean? So I want to, we're, we're transitioning, we're going through the Gospel of John, we're transitioning from chapter 3 to chapter 4, so I'm going to just fast forward just a few verses, I'm going to go to verse 23, and then we're going to come back and start chapter 4. But let me go to 23 to answer the question, what's the Spirit if Jesus has it without limit? Verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Jesus is speaking. A time is coming, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is what? Say it. Spirit. What is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? If this man named Jesus has the Spirit without limit, then what is the Spirit that He has without limit? For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God the Father is spirit. Jesus announces that God the Father is spirit. And God the Father has given the spirit without limit to one. God has given the spirit without limit to one. God has given himself without limit to one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is a man. Do you know what name, what title Jesus applies to himself more than any other title in the Bible? Trivia question for the day. Do you know what it is? Son of man. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. What's that mean? His mother is Mary. He acknowledges that he is the Son of Man, that he comes from his mother, Mary. But there's another title that he's referred to. It's the Son of God. You know, there's only one that can be both. And he's the one that has the Spirit without limit. Jesus is the Son of Man. He came from woman. But he is also the Son of God, which means his daddy is not Joseph or anybody from here. The Son of God, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son. Jesus the Son has the Father without limit. Stay with me. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus has the Father without limit. Do you believe that? Now, I'm going to acknowledge something today. My mind cannot comprehend the depths of that sentence. But by faith, I believe it. 
That's why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father, for the Father and I are one. How is that possible? Because there was one who has the Spirit without limit. And the Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is God, and God is in a man without limit. John the Baptist had the Spirit, but there were limits, not Jesus. You and I have received the Holy Spirit. If you're born again today in this building, you have been born again of the what? You've been born of the water. You've been born of the Spirit. If you have been born again of the water and the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. But you and I don't have the Holy Spirit without limit. But there is one that has the Spirit of God without limits, and this is big. He is a man, born of woman, born of God. John the Baptist was born of a woman, but his mother, his father, excuse me, was Zachariah. Zachariah didn't come from heaven. Jesus' father was not Joseph, but Jesus' father was the Spirit without limit. Do you remember what the angel Gabriel told Virgin Mary when he showed up that day? Luke 1.34, Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit. What? The Holy Spirit. This Jesus is going to have the Spirit without limit. Well, that's what the angel told Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he'll be called what? The Son of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't say that, does it? He'll be called the Son of God. But he will have the Spirit without limit on Angel Gabriel announced that the seed of the Spirit without limit was going to be placed inside of a mother's womb, Mary's womb. The Spirit without limit is living inside of a man who is living inside of a woman. Listen to me. The Spirit without limit, the seed of the Spirit without limit was going to live inside of a person, a man, living inside the womb of a woman. His name is Jesus. Interesting enough that Mary or Joseph were not allowed to name this one who has the Spirit without limit. Only the Father would be able to name him. And the Father, the Spirit, God the Father named him Jesus. The Spirit without limit. Now back to the story. The Spirit without limit is about to meet a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Now we can start chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, now don't miss the geography. He's going to leave the Judean wilderness to go to Galilee. That's moving north. And to do that, he's going to have to go through Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily. Now, some of you, like me, would say, how could a person who has the spirit without limit get tired and grow weary? He also is a man. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He gets tired beside the well about noontime. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, now let's look at the story. Jesus is tired. Jesus is thirsty. Because Jesus is a man. But he's also filled with the unlimited spirit. But the unlimited spirit is housed inside of human flesh. Jesus, a Jew, is talking to a Samaritan woman, and quite frankly, if you studied the culture, it doesn't happen. It's not politically correct. The Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. You'll never understand this story until you get that. The Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. Their ancestry was Jewish. But they had been exiled and then remigrating back into this region. They had married with foreign people. So to the Jews, they were half-breeds. They were Gentiles. So they were, to Jewish people, unclean. A mixed race, unclean people. So why would Jesus, a Jew, ask a half-breed, unclean Gentile for a drink of water? under Jewish law, that would make the water unclean. That's what she wanted to know. That's why she asked the question, why would you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? Verse 10, if you only knew. Jesus said, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. If you only knew. He's looking at this lady, and he says, if you only knew that I have the Spirit without limit. If you only knew that there is a portion of that Spirit without limit inside of me that I have for you. If you only knew that the Spirit without limit can be yours. Not without limit, but I have a portion of myself reserved for you. If you only knew who I am, you would ask me for living water. And I'm going to ask you a question. Jesus looks at this woman and says, if you only knew who I was, you would be the one asking me for living water. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is the living water? Do you know? Most of you do. Some of you still don't. So what is the living water? The Spirit. See, I have the Spirit without limit, is what Jesus said. If you only knew who I was, that I am the one who has the Spirit without limit, you'd be asking me for this living water. You'd be asking me for this Spirit. 
would Jesus, a Jew, really be willing to give the Spirit living water to a half-breed Gentile woman? See, that's the marvelous question in this scene. Can I give you a hint? I think she missed, I think she missed the whole living water part. Next verse. But sir, you don't have a rope and you don't have a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? I don't think you can catch living water with a rope and a bucket. And for her, she's still not understanding what this living water is. Are you greater than Jacob? She doesn't know he has the spirit without limit, does she? She's asking Jesus if Jesus is greater than Jacob. But I'm going to ask you a question. Who is Jacob? Jacob's name was, he's one of the sons of Abraham. So his name's changed to Israel, right? So Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. They traced their ancestry to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the problem is they had intermarried with foreign cultures, which God had told them not to do. And to the Jews, they're considered half-breeds. But you know, she considers herself in the ancestry of Jacob. Jesus, do you think you're better than Jacob? How can you offer me better water than my ancestor Jacob? Here it comes. She's asked the question. And the spirit without limit is going to speak the truth. Verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. What do you think this living water, this fresh bubbling spring within you actually is? What is this thing that the man who has the spirit without limit offers this half-breed Gentile woman? What is it? Special water? Fountain of youth water? Is it the water? It becomes something inside of you, bubbling spring that comes to eternal life. What is this thing that ropes and buckets cannot secure, but yet it gives life forever? What is this thing? What is this thing that satisfies the thirst of the human soul? The Spirit is God. Listen, church. Jesus has already told us the Spirit is God, and God is life, and God offers life through the Holy Spirit to those who will believe and to believe is to take a drink. The Spirit is God's guarantee of eternal life. Can you have eternal life without the Spirit? No. It's a guarantee. Ephesians 1.14, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. 
Living water, let me tell you church, living water guarantees eternal life, eternal, eternal inheritance. It's been purchased through the blood of Christ for a people called the children of God. Who wouldn't take this offer? Paul's in the story. Who wouldn't take this offer? The one who has the spirit without limit, offers life without end. Who wouldn't take it? You know the answer. Most people don't want to say it out loud. I, I get it. But you know the answer. Unbelievers who hate the light. This is the battleground of the human soul. The sin nature versus the spirit. It can only be overcome by faith, by believing in the one that offers undeserving half-breeds a drink of his spirit. The Apostle Paul explains it like this to a Gentile church in Rome. I want you to understand, before I read it to you, I want you to understand there is a battle that's raging between, on this side, is the sin nature. That's the natural man. That's what I am born with. I don't have to work to get it. It's there. It's me. It's my origin. But there's a battle that rages between my very nature and the spirit. They are two separate powers. My nature and the Spirit. And here's the deal. My nature leads to death. The Spirit leads to life. So what is this battle? It's about life and death. Yours. Mine. Here's how Paul describes the war. Romans 8, 5. By the way, this is written to half-breed Gentiles. The Roman church. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Those who that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature will never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living inside, living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. all Christ, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies, the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates you will die. If you live by the natural man, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, you put death to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when, you, when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. The Spirit without limit is offering us to share in His Spirit. And I want to tell you something. I've studied the wording on the Spirit without limit, without measure. You know why it's important for us to acknowledge He has the Spirit without limit? Because there's this idea that some of us have that He doesn't have enough for me. He is the Spirit without limit. Which means He's got more than enough for all of us. He's got more than enough. He will never run out. The Spirit without limit offers a spirit of sonship so that you can look at His Father and call Him your Father. You can look at the Father of Jesus and call Him Abba, Daddy. Will she take it? We're reading the story of Jesus meeting a half-breed Samaritan woman at a whale. Will she take it? Will she take hold of this living water? And I'm going to ask you a question before I read it next. What will it take? In the room today, what would it take for you? I assume that not everyone in this room today is a believer. Some of you are here, you're curious. Some of you are here wondering. What would it take for her? What would it take for you? What would it take to convince her to drink this living water offered from the one who has the spirit without limit? Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. He's got her, right? If you read this story, do you think, yep, he's got her? Nope, 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 not yet. There will need to be one more thing. Some of you already know what it is. Some of you know where I'm going. Some of you don't. Has he got her? Not yet. Give me this water to drink. Then I won't have to come back to this well anymore and get water. One more thing. Truth. You can't separate them. For God is spirit, and those who will worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They are inseparable. He has told her, the one who has the spirit without limit has announced her the option to receive living water, which is the offer of His Spirit. But now, truth. They always come together. Are you ready? Verse 16. Go and get your husband. What? Go and get your husband. Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I'm going to ask you a question in light of this conversation between the one who has the spirit without limit and the one who's curious about this man who has the spirit without limit. Here's the question. Do you think you can get living water without the truth? Do you think you can get the Holy Spirit and hold back on the truth? 
Lord, I'd like to have the spirit without, I'd like to have the spirit that leads to eternal life. But this whole truth thing, you know, sometimes it's not so much fun. So I just want one. Can you do that? Can you separate them? Do you think it's okay to offer living water to others without truth? I'm going to tell you, many in the American church think it's a good idea that we can offer living water, but we're going to hold back the truth. Because the truth might offend people. It might make people uncomfortable. So let's just offer everybody a big drink of living water, offer them the spirit that leads to eternal life, but we don't need to bring up the truth. Is that possible? Can you separate these two? Do you think it's better to offer the Spirit without truth so that people won't get their feelings hurt? In fact, when he looks at this woman at the well and says, go get your husband, is he just mean? Is he just mean? Why did he need to bring that up? If you offend their soul, people tell me, I I hear it, don't think I don't hear it, that if you offend their soul with the truth, they won't want to drink. If you offend their soul with the truth, if you say the truth and it makes them uncomfortable, you're just pushing them away from the water. As if somehow or another, you can go and pick one without the other. She was wanting to take a drink, and then Jesus, the one who has the spirit without a lemon, he has to bring up the truth. Why? Jesus, why did you have to bring up the truth? Go get your husband. Why? Preacher, why do you got to bring up the truth? Why do you got to be so big on this truth thing? I'm glad you asked. Because in John chapter 3, I started with it today. And I told you about a judgment day that for believers has already occurred on the cross. But I also told you about a judgment day for unbelievers that's in the future. And you know what the gap between those two is? Truth. Do you doubt what I'm saying? I'm going to read it to you one more time. John 3, 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who's not believed in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on a fact. What fact? What is it? What fact is judgment? What is the gap between having the judgment already done on the cross and I am free? Or the judgment in front of me, which I am condemned? What's the fact? Here it comes. God's light came into the world. But people love the darkness more than the light. For their actions are evil. And they don't want you to bring it up. Next verse. And all who do evil hate the light. And they refuse to go near it, near the light, for fear that their sins would be exposed by the light. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that what they're doing, they're doing what God wants. I'm going to ask you a question. Can you separate the Spirit and the truth? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's appropriate for the church of Jesus Christ, for the church of the man who has the Spirit without limit, to only offer the Spirit and let's just drop the truth? Now he's got her attention. 
Truth will do that to you. You know, this whole conversation, she's thinking about buckets and well water. And he's got her attention because he has just said something that reveals something about himself that she did not notice before. You know, truth does that. You know why truth does that? You know why this does something to all of us? You know why? Because he knows. And he knows what you don't think anybody in the world knows, but he knows because he's not from here. And there's nothing that I have that's a secret to him. And there's nothing that you have that's a secret to him. He knows. And you know what he knows? The truth. And he just revealed to this woman that he knows the truth. He's got her attention. Next verse, 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Now, did you notice something? Now she's not just looking for drinking water. Now she's seeking truth. And Jesus is about to give it to her. Truth and living water all together. Imagine that. Truth and the Spirit together. I hope you're ready for this. Do you believe in truth? Because here it comes. Verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, a time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you want the spirit without the truth? Can I just tell you my experience in the last 20 years of ministry? Most people do. They want the spirit. Let's hold back the truth. Or just give me a little bitty side on the side. Give me a side dish of truth. Give me the plate of the spirit and a side dish of truth. Why did Jesus bring up her five husbands? Some of you are already comfortable because I'm talking about it. It makes you uncomfortable. Why did he bring up her five husbands? Because the Spirit always reveals the truth. Any spirit that is not accompanied by truth is a false spirit. It's called the spirit of the Antichrist. You can't separate the spirit from the truth. Why? Listen, if you're wondering why, why Terry, why? Because they are the same person. And they are a person. The Spirit without limit has a name. His name's Jesus. The truth has a name. His name is Jesus. If you think you can take and separate them, you're trying to separate the same person. It's not an ideology. It's a person. The Spirit and truth is standing in front of this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And here's the question. Will she take a drink? Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah's coming. She's not talking about buckets anymore, is she? She's getting serious. Truth will do that to you. I know that Messiah's coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus looks at this woman and said, I am the Messiah. 
Can you imagine this moment? This half-breed Samaritan woman has just encountered the I am. Do you believe it? Forget about her for a minute. Do you believe it? That there's a man named Jesus who has the spirit without limit. The Messiah, the one that God promised would come. I am. Do you believe that he is the I am and he offered living water to believers, even Gentiles? What is the evidence or the proof that you believe and that the spirit and truth has opened your eyes to believe? What's the evidence? What is the evidence that your judgment day was Calvary, not your future? What's the evidence? I'm going to ask you a question. Listen carefully. I'm looking for evidence that you believe what you think you believe. Do you love the light? Do you run into the light of truth and try, or try to hide it? Do you love this word? Do you believe this is truth? Do you love the truth? I'm going to say it again. I am absolutely positively convinced that what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. Do you love this? Do, not, not only do you, do you acknowledge it, but do you, have you put yourself under the authority of it? Do you live under the authority of truth? No, I'd like to have a double measure. I'd like to get a double measure of the Spirit and a side of truth. Do you love the light? Do you run into this light of truth? Or do you want to hide? It's about this time. It's about this time in the story that Jesus' disciples returned to Jacob's well. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is, being, is people being brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, the other harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will gather the harvest. Do you know why this living water satisfies and keeps you from being thirsty again? The initial offer of Jesus to the woman was what? If you keep drinking just regular water, you'll always be thirsty. But I offer you something to satisfy. Do you know why it satisfies? Jesus revealed it. Did you see it? It's in verse 34. This is the one who has the spirit without limit. He doesn't seem to get very thirsty. Why? Jesus exclaimed, explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and by finishing his work. Do you want 
a life that's filled with purpose and meaning, a sweet, satisfying life, this is it. The sin nature will leave you thirsty. The sin nature will leave you empty. We are living in a culture that is an epidemic of opiate addiction and drug addiction. And can anybody tell me why this generation is so addicted? Why? They are so empty. They have been raised without the Word of God. They have been raised outside of the church that gives hope, that satisfies the longing of the human soul. And they're looking for anything to satisfy this hunger, anything to satisfy this thirst, this emptiness, this thing inside of me that craves something that I can't find, anything in the world to satisfy. It's Jesus. The one who has the spirit without limit offers to satisfy the thirst of the human soul. But you must come out of the darkness and you must run into this light of truth. Verse 14, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Why? Because it becomes the source of life. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I want to tell you, church, listen carefully. Around us, the fields are ripe to harvest. I say that we are in the last days, but I also say this. This will be the greatest time for the church in the history. Because there are the most people with the most emptiness. They're empty. They have tried the things of the world and they're still hungry. And they're still thirsty. The fields are ripe for harvest. A soul harvest. But you, sitting in this chair, cannot give somebody something you do not have. And you can't give living water without truth. Some people believe, let's just encourage them with something. It must be attached to truth. The truth never resides in the darkness. That Samaritan woman at Jacob's well had encountered both the Spirit and the truth. And she runs back into town to the fields of half-breed Gentiles that are ripe for harvest. And I must tell you, even before I read it in closing today, that the harvest of that woman was plentiful. First, I want to do something, and then I'm going to close. I want to read her departure from Jesus, runs back into town, and I don't want to read to you the harvest of this one woman who, have been, who encountered the one who had the spirit without limit. First, her departure, verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the whale. What's this whole story about? She'd come to the whale to get water. The woman left her water jail, jar behind, beside the whale and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Why, do we, why did she leave her water jar? She found something better than H2O. Did you? Did you find, have you found that thing that satisfies your thirst? I'm asking you, individually, every person in the room, would you ask yourself this question? Have you found this one that satisfies something down inside? That you're not thirsty anymore? You, you, don't, you don't need the things that the world runs after because you're just not thirsty. You're satisfied. She left her water jar. She found life. She found life. Did you find it? 
Did you get yours? Now, the harvest. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because you told us what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. A woman, a well, the spirit, the truth, two days, and a harvest of souls. That's the story. The one that has the spirit without limit, he did it all, and we're standing here 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. Today I proclaim to you that the one that has the spirit without limit is still doing it right now. What he did to her, he's still doing it right now. He's still offering living water. He's still offering the spirit. He is still offering life he's still offering truth harvesting souls the fields are ripe for harvest the harvest is only possible by the spirit and the truth you must turn toward the light of truth i've met a lot of people that say they want the spirit that gives life but many of them do not will not do not want to acknowledge the truth or accept the truth they only want the spirit you can't separate do you want it? Do you want the truth? It's not in the darkness. You'll never find truth in the darkness. Why? Because when truth enters the darkness, the darkness leaves and becomes light. I close with Romans 8, 8 5. I close with the truth. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. The sinful nature, the spirit of natural man always leads to death. That's the truth. That's why Jesus came. That's why they call him the Savior of the world. God gave this man the Spirit without limit so that he could turn to you and me and offer us his Spirit. His Spirit is living water. His Spirit satisfies and brings eternal life, even to half-breed Gentiles. I'll ask Chad to come out have you been born again? Born of the water? Born of the Spirit? Are you still thirsty? Are you still searching for something in the world that will make you satisfied? Something that makes you where you're not hungry and thirsty for stuff? Have you received the truth? Have you received the Spirit? Today we offer an invitation. The invitation is not to come to the Nineveh Christian Church. The invitation is to come to the man who has the Spirit without limit. Have you? Will you? If you have, then celebrate this gift of life. If you have not, why not? Why don't you do it today? Let's stand.